Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're talking about a fast-rising Dustin Crum. A warning from Dave Dickinson. The roots of the CFL's struggling stat system. A pass-resting legend landing in La Belle Provence. And artificial intelligence simulating CFL fans. But first... The Red Blacks pulled off their second straight overtime victory on Sunday night, upsetting the Stampeders 43-41 at McMahon Stadium. Ottawa became the first team in CFL history to win consecutive games in OT. Budding young quarterback Dustin Crum completed 23 of 29 passes for 257 yards and two touchdowns without turning the ball over while rushing for 63 yards. After two Crumback wins, is the rookie QB for real? I think he is, Dunk. I really do. There's something about this kid, the way he carries himself, the way he takes command of games, there's something to it. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've seen lots of young quarterbacks come into the CFL, have a couple strong games, have even a season and a half or a half of of good production and then fall flat on their face. So I don't think we're at the stage yet with Dustin Crum like we were last year where we know this guy is uh, last year with Nathan Rourke, excuse me, where we know this guy is for sure a superstar. We're not there yet, but there's something to this kid and what he does on the field. And what impressed me most is I thought that the Calgary Stampeders did a really good job after that first half of taking away his legs, right? He ran for 63 yards, but a lot of that was early in the game, and they had Cameron Judge spying him throughout. And there were times where he got caught, you know, being a little bit too too run heavy, you know, dropping his eyes, trying to make a play, taking too many sacks. But every time he did that, he readjusted, he grounded himself, and he was able to come out on the next drive and start throwing the ball down the field and making the correct reads that the defense was giving him. That's an incredibly promising sign for the young quarterback. I'm excited to see him as he moves forward in his career. Dustin Crum is an absolute sensation, but he still needs to prove himself in the long run. We don't want to see him become the next Jonathan Jennings. And if people remember, or if you haven't read the piece, make sure you go to 3downnation.com because John Hodge talked to Jonathan Jennings in the offseason about some of the things that he maybe would have changed coming off that 5,000-yard passing season. Now, I'm not saying Crum is going to get to that 5,000-yard mark, but he's played really well in these first two games, especially excuse me, especially in the clutch. And that's what's really stood out to me about this rookie. And he's made great in-game adjustments, and he hasn't used his legs as a last resort, let's say, and not being able to read defenses. I think he's used them when it's been called upon. I think we saw that a little bit early on, but more and more he's progressing through his reads and getting rid of the ball quickly and then pulling it down if need be in sort of an emergency situation. I think a lot of credit should go to Red Lutz offensive coordinator Kahari Jones for designing a simple offense around Dustin Crum. That touchdown pass to Justin Hardy late in the game against the Stampeders was a simple concept. It was a deep out route. Crum puts the ball on the money and Hardy takes it all the way to the end zone against what looked to be man coverage. So I really like what Jones is scheming up. And I especially like 
what Crum is doing in terms of executing. The Red Blacks have been waiting a long time for Crum. They've been high on him. They put him on their negotiation list all the way back on November 5th, 2020. That was during the pandemic, which feels like it was a lifetime ago. And that was actually after the first game of Kent State's university season that year in the NCAA, a pandemic-shortened season at that, in a game where he had a clean one, didn't turn the ball over, and was very efficient as a quarterback. So they were patient. He went to Kansas City Chiefs training camp in 2022, was up close and personal with Patrick Mahomes. And we all know the way Mahomes started his career as a QB1. And Crum, I think, took a little something-something from Mahomes and brought that magic to the nation's capital. What I love especially about what Kahari is doing is he's taking everything that Dustin Crum is is good at and allowing him to do those things, right? He's allowing him to use his legs as a weapon. And quite frankly, I don't think enough CFL offenses right now are maximizing the mobility of their quarterbacks or allowing them to make plays with their legs outside the pocket. We don't have enough of that creativity in the league. That's how you thrive in the CFL as a quarterback. It's always been that way. Dustin Crum isn't some sort of freak anomaly. I mean, it looks like it sometimes when he's out there running around, but this is a guy who ran a four, seven, five at the NFL combine. That's his official 40 time. I did some math uh, yesterday dunk and I calculated all the 40 times. All right. I accumulated all the 40 times of every quarterback in the CFL. Dustin Crum optimistically. Some of these are estimates is the 16th fastest quarterback in the league. He's actually provably slower than Trevor Harris when he came out, who ran a 4.72 at his pro day, right? There are guys out here who could be running more, chief among them, someone like Taylor Cornelius in Edmonton, who we know is much more effective when he can use his legs, but offenses aren't maximizing that right now. And I think what Kahari Jones has been able to do with this young quarterback, allowing him to use that and be comfortable and have it be an entire facet of the offense has been absolutely fantastic. It's different on a stopwatch, though, and that's what really jumps off the screen to me about Dustin Crum is he's a gamer. He's got game speed. He's elusive as well, very slippery in the open field. And he's faster on tape, as the scouts would say. And I know that you did some great math work there and you compared these guys when they can put on potentially track spikes or specialized running cleats to run a fast 40-yard dash. But this guy runs faster than a lot of the other quarterbacks in the CFL right now. And he looks so smooth doing it. He also has that power element. And what really is interesting to me is all the comparisons that have been thrown out here very early on in his career. We're just two games into it as a starter, albeit two wins. But I know our colleague, John Hodge, who's not with us this week, but he'll be on the East Coast with me in Halifax, has likened Crum to Kerry Joseph in terms of his stature and his power as a runner. I've spoken to some CFL scouts and there seems to be at least some sort of a consensus that they feel like he's a young Jeff Garcia and he probably takes off more than Garcia did, but Garcia was very nimble and agile with his feet, especially as a young CFL quarterback. And I think the reason that Garcia and that comparison came about with Crum had a lot to do with the way they throw the football, their arm slot, especially how fast they process information as young quarterbacks. So, JC, I'd be curious to hear 
your comparison, even though it's early for Crump. Yeah, the, it's he's a tough one to judge because I don't think there's ever been a perfect comparable. But the guy who sort of stood out to me is is Michael Riley, right? Fantastic quarterback with with Edmonton and and BC. And the reason why I say that is he wasn't as mobile at the end of his career, but Mike Riley used to run a ton and he was very effective doing that. And the the thing that that defined his running style was his physicality, right? He was a guy who was willing to take a hit, willing to lower the shoulder. And I've seen that from Dustin Crumb. So that's the guy I sort of see shades of in his game. And when you're getting these types of comparisons, Jeff Garcia, Kerry Joseph, Michael Riley, it's hard to believe that the Ottawa Red Blacks were sitting there in training camp and they went, you know what? Let's stick with Nick Arbuckle to start the season, right? We've got Tyree Adams, who we saw some promising flashes from. We've got Dustin Crum here. But nah, let's let's stick with Nick Arbuckle, who, by the way, based on my uh, my research, is the slowest quarterback in the entire CFL <laughs> by a wide margin. It is not particularly close, by the way. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible that they didn't make the decision to go with one of these youngsters to start the season when Jeremiah Mazzoli is hurt. Thankfully, they've actually found somebody now, and it seems like this franchise is turning around. Following their loss to the Red Blacks, Stampeders head coach Dave Dickinson was frank urging his team to, quote, look in the mirror and warning that that they could get new players if results don't change. On Tuesday, he made good on that promise, acquiring veteran defensive end Ja'Garrett Davis via trade with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is Dickinson right to be concerned about his team? I think he is a little bit because we've seen some inconsistencies with this group, right? The offense was really good against the Red Blacks, putting up over 40 points in a loss. But on the flip side, the defense wasn't so good in giving up a bunch of big plays there. And it's really the defense and the running game last year that they relied on to get to the playoffs. So I think he is right to be a little bit concerned. But if the defense just plays even to an adequate level, an average level that we're used to seeing out of Brett Monson's group out of there, then I think that this St. Peter's team can potentially be a contender because you look at Jake Mayer in that game against Ottawa, he had a couple of critical turnovers, especially that interception in the fourth quarter when the stamps were up four. But there is a developing rapport there with some big-time playmakers, Mark and Michelle, Trey Odoms-Dukes, Reggie Begleton, and Clark Barnes, who looks like he might be an absolute steal where the stamps got him in the 2023 CFL draft. And they're going to be without James Vodders for a while after that injury he suffered against Ottawa. And they've gone out and acquired Jaguar Davis in a trade with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Tiger Cats were shopping Davis. So it makes sense. And it seems like it's a fit there because Davis has been in Calgary. He's not the Jaguar Davis of old, but I think the Stamps probably know how to get the best out of him. So I think the Stampeders need to be better, especially in these critical situations. They've lost two games in overtime, and it's a very fine line. But how much differently are we talking about this Stampeders team if they won those two overtime games? They'd be four and two instead of two and four. I think your point about Jake Mayer needs to be driven home here because 
I was a little bit surprised by the severity of Dickinson's comments here, not because I don't think the the Stampeders need to desperately address some issues, because I think they do, but because the last two games, in my opinion, they've been trending in the right direction, particularly on offense. I've been critical of Jake Mayer in the past. I think we all have on this podcast, and rightfully so for some of the games. But Dave Dickinson has taken the kid gloves off of him and finally allowed him to stretch the ball down the field. And he's responded with two of the best performances he's had in his career. 450 yards and four touchdowns this week. You note the two interceptions dunk, right? I think on both of those, you can find fault elsewhere right the second one in the fourth quarter I think that ball was tipped a little bit at the line of scrimmage which altered its course resulting in that pick and the first one I thought Reggie Begleton ran a really really lazy comeback on his hitch where Brandon Dandridge was able to rig it and drive on the ball faster than the receiver putting Mayer in in a bad situation once he threw it So he has looked much improved the last couple of weeks. That offense looks like it's finally getting going through the air. Now it's time to address some of the other organizational things with this team. And this Jagera Davis move to me doesn't do that. And I'll, I'll tell you why I was going through the rosters earlier this, this week, because I was going back and forth with our contributor from Calgary, Ryan Ballantyne about the stamps and some of their problems. And he tried to sell me on this idea that the Stamps have undergone more roster turnover than anybody else. And what I found is that's, in fact, not true. Besides the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, nobody in the league has more players from 2018, which was the last time that the Stampeders won the Grey Cup and won a playoff game, for that matter. It was eight at the time when I did that math. Now it's nine because they've brought in Jagera Davis. And a lot of those guys are great players, but the results on the field have gone downhill every single year for the Stampeders. And not only have they not found new talent to replace those guys, they've made a consistent habit of clawing back into the past and trying to find old guys that were on their roster when they used to be good to try and fill those voids. There's a reason why Hamilton was able to part with Jagari Davis for a sixth round pick. It's because he's not very good right now. He has not been effective for that football team. And so they were going to release him if they weren't going to get some sort of asset back. They get a sixth round pick. That's fine for them. It's next to nothing, right? This is not a move that is going to put the Calgary Stampeders over the top. And I'm not sure there's a move they can make in season to do that. Right now, that organization needs to look within itself in the offseason and how they're evaluating talent and how they're bringing people in because I don't think they're doing a good enough job getting young, fresh faces. I do think there is some young talent there, and you mentioned them going back and getting some old names. Well, Mark and Michelle look spry. He had a great touchdown catch in over a 100-yard game against the Red Blacks. James Vodders was balling out after coming back from the NFL, and the Stamps are definitely going to miss him. So those are two guys that they brought back from the past that were really strong. And I think you look at some other pieces on that roster that they brought in there. Cameron Judge has been really good, and he's not a guy that they had in there. He was new talent that they went out and found, right? Trey Odoms Dukes is a guy that they've developed from within. Reggie Begleton is along that same line, even though he went to try the NFL and came back. So I know what you're saying, JC, in a sense, but I think 
the Stampeders have done a pretty good job overall of developing talent. And usually what happens in Calgary is they don't normally, for I guess a handful of these guys at least, want to pay and the players end up leaving. Now, it should be said that Hamilton did sign Jagera Davis in the offseason to a deal that included, I believe, a $15,000 signing bonus. So the Tiger Cats wanted him back, and part of the reason why he was a healthy scratch in Week 7 was performance-related, and the Tiger Cats thinking that they have some players at the defensive end spot like Mason Bennett and Jonathan Kongbo where they can go Canadian and be better off that way. So the Davis move, I think, is different, right, because there's not a lot of veteran proven pass rushers on the market there was a guy that had been in calgary last year that had a career year his name is sean lemon but he signed with the alouettes before this injury to vauders happened with the stampeders well they had another guy on that roster last year and he was in on the team in 2018 as well and they let him walk right when they had developed him into a force, and that's Falaren Armalade, who is, of course, now the highest-paid defensive end in the league and ripping it up with the undefeated Toronto Argonauts. So maybe the Stampeders' problem is they just aren't retaining the talent when they finally develop them into superstars. Either way, I think there's some serious things that they need to address in that organization because the status quo right now is not working and they might lock themselves into another playoff spot this year because of some of the injuries around the league, namely to Trevor Harris with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which makes that third spot in the West vulnerable. But I don't think this is a team that can legitimately compete and contend for a Grey Cup year in and year out like they used to be able to do. I think they need to address those problems. JC, you got an exclusive interview with the CFL's former statistics software partner, Sharp Hat. What were your biggest takeaways from Sharp Hat president and CEO, Nick Mayu? For me, the biggest takeaway is that this entire situation with the stats system and genius sports and how it's been rolled out could have all been avoided extremely simply. For those of you who don't know, Sharp Hat was the company that instituted the last change in the CFL's stats software that went to, into effect back in 2016 and went incredibly smoothly, right? We didn't have any of these issues of having incorrect stats or not having any stats at all. And what they told me is that was because of all the things they did in advance of that rollout to ensure that they had a product that was ready for public consumption, right? They got the contract in 2014, and then it took them a full calendar year of design and testing, which they ran in parallel with the CFL's existing stats system in 2015 to test it out and make sure everything was accurate before they rolled out anything officially. All over 6,000 hours of manpower went into that project. It seems to me like Genius Sports underestimated the task of designing a new software for the CFL or at least instituting their existing software to Canadian rules. And they didn't take any of those precautions. They did not run their system in parallel with the old Sharphat software, which could have been very easily done because the CFL owns that fully and can operate it on their own at no additional cost. They didn't take that step. And now we're in the situation we're in. 
Genius Sports has completely fumbled this entire thing. And I'll respectfully disagree with the commissioner, Randy Ambrosia. This has been a failure. It's getting better, but it never should have been as bad as it has been. And Genius Sports made the mistake of thinking that they could just plunk in the same system that they had for the NCAA and the NFL. It is a four down game played on a completely different field with one less player on each side of the ball and all the intricacies of the CFL game and think that it was going to work just fine. You could tell by your great piece that's up on three downnation.com from everybody at sharp hat that they realized very quickly that the CFL game was different. We all know that Americans even know that. So they realized that and worked to build a system that could handle all of those intricacies because one little thing being off in the tech world. And when you design software like this can throw the whole system off like it has with genius sports It's part of the reason why we're seeing Boris Beatty kicking for both teams or a crazy amount of like 300 turnovers happening for one team in a stack category. Like it's just things that give more ammunition for people to crack jokes about the CFL. And I wish I would have been privy to some of the conversations between the CFL and Genius Sports, because if I was a CFL, I would have said to Genius Sports, this is what we did the last time around with Sharp Hat. They ran a system in parallel for a year after they spent, what was it, over 600 people hours, let's say, building a 6, system. 6,000. 6,000, excuse me. I forgot a zero there. 6,000 people hours put into the system to build it specifically for the CFL game. The CFL should have relayed that to genius sports i would imagine they would have and somewhere along the line the cfl or genius sports didn't think that a system needed to be run in parallel so i can't comprehend it it's getting better and i will agree with ambrosi that in the long run this pain will be worth it but there never should have been any stats pain to begin with and it's another thing that the cfl has bungled in genius sports needs to fix it as fast as they can. It was completely avoidable. Not to defend genius, but I will say that Sharp Hat's chief technology officer, Sai Lee, told me that they had a little bit of an easier task, in his opinion, because they designed the CFL's uh, stats software from, from scratch when Sharp Hat did it. It was all new, so they could bake in all the CFL rules themselves what genius has done is they've taken their existing stat software which they use for the ncaa or the nfl and other american leagues and tried to insert it directly in for the cfl and he said in his opinion it's probably more difficult to adapt an existing software like that to canadian rules than it is to design one from scratch but genius should have recognized that Right. As a software company, as a data and technology leaguer, they should have known that fact and taken all the necessary precautions to ensure that they are all good to go before this hit the public eye. And the thing that astounds me, Dunk, is this is a company that has a revenue share in the CFL, right? They, they own 10% of CFL Ventures, which is the revenue arm of the league. So they have a vested interest in making sure the league is profitable and making sure everything runs smoothly. With that in mind, why 
was there any thought of this being an additional cost to run the two softwares? Because Randy Ambrosi is saying, well, we would have had to hire a second stats crew. No, Genius should have done that them their damn selves, right? If they're going to get money from the league, they got to put in some hours and run their software for a year, just like Sharp Hat did when they were contracted back in 2016. And what I will say just just to make this abundantly clear, this was not a hit piece or anything of that nature. Sharp Hat is not aggrieved by the league because they moved on to Genius. They fully understand that decision. And frankly, it wasn't a big financial hit for them because they did all their work during that transition period. And they've just been doing some essentially maintenance every once in a while whenever the CFL needed in, in the seven years since. So this was not a situation where they were being paid massive amounts of money annually and they've lost income. So now they're coming out against the league. They disliked some of the ways that Randy Ambrosi categorized their software as sort of outdated and archaic. They didn't think that was accurate. So they wanted to set the record straight, straight, but they overall praised their working relationship with the league and really had very little understanding of what was going on currently with the genius situation. So I was able to get some pretty unbiased insights into how they did it the last time around. Well done, buddy. Vernon Adams Jr. avoided serious injury to his left knee on a sack by Pete Robertson in week seven, and he's been given a week to heal by the BC Lions. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have activated Bo Levi Mitchell early from the six-game injured list after suffering a growing injury in week two against the Toronto Argonauts. Which team is making the smarter decision with its QB1? It's the BC Lions, and it's not even close, all right? Sitting Vernon Adams Jr. down for what I project to be just one week against the Elks is a smart decision here. You have Dane Evans, who helped guide the Lions to a win after Adams Jr. went out rather early in that game against Saskatchewan. Because you look at their upcoming schedule and that game against the Blue Bombers back at IG Field in Week 9 is going to be massive, not only for the tiebreaker, but also for the potential of BC staying on top in the West Division standings. And then... You look at Hamilton pulling Bo Levi Mitchell off the sixth game early, and they're not even sure if he's going to start the week that they take him off. I just can't comprehend that decision. If you're not sure that he's going to start, leave him on there and let him practice when he's actually eligible, and then you can get some cap relief. I understand that you want your best players on the field, but when Olano Steinauer is out here publicly making comments about Mitchell practicing, but them not being certain that he's going to start, I just can't comprehend the decision-making that's going on behind the scenes here. Because if he's not ready, then why do you pull him off early? Why not give him more team to get time, excuse me, not team, to get fully healthy for your team before he comes out while also giving you the cap savings to potentially boost this team around NFL training camp cut time, let's say. So the team that is making the best decision here with its QB1 at the moment is the Lions, and it's not close. Well, I think he hit the nail on the head there when you say you want your best players on the field. And I'm not sure that's the move that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are making because Bo Levi Mitchell, we all know what he's done, but he did not look good before his injury at the start of this year, right? He struggled. 
And he's struggled for a long time now in this league. And Taylor Powell, we don't know what he is yet, but he was fairly solid in his first career start. I was impressed with him, showed some poise, showed some accuracy, you know, was able to press the ball down the field a little bit later in that game. I'm not sure Bo Levi Mitchell at this stage in his career is that much of an upgrade over Taylor Powell, especially if he's not at 100%. And it seems to be that that will be the situation if he plays this week, that he will not be at 100% because he's come off this list early. To me, that makes zero sense. You keep Mitchell on there for as long as he needs because in le- if he is anything less than 100%, we've seen it time and time again over the last couple of years, he is not very effective as a quarterback, and that's not a good situation to be in. On the flip side for the BC Lions, playing Dane Evans makes perfect sense, right? Vernon Adams Jr., they're very lucky that he's only going to be out short term, but this is the genius that was bringing in Evans in the offseason as an experienced backup, and the reason why when all these quarterbacks started going down and everyone said, well, why don't they train for Dane Evans? I said, Anyone who thinks they're going to trade Dan Evans is insane for exactly this reason, because he's able to come off the bench like he did last week and maybe not light the world on fire, but be a very consistent, steady handed backup who can win you tight football games. They might not even need that this week against the Edmonton Elks, but they're sure as hell going to get it. And they're making the right decision by giving Vernon Adams Jr. the time he needs to heal. The Hamilton Tiger Cats traveled to Ottawa for a meeting with the Red Blacks on Friday night. Dustin Crum made his CFL debut against the Tabbies in Week 5, but looks like a much different QB after two straight Crumback wins capped in overtime. The home side are three-and-a-half-point favorites in the nation's capital. Who are you betting on and why? I am taking Ottawa all the way here. I am fully on the Dustin Crum hype train. And we talked about it earlier in the show. Cameron Judge did a fairly good job of limiting uh, Crum's mobility later in that football game against the Calgary Stampeders. Cameron Judge is a freak. He runs a 4-5 as a linebacker. Jameer Thurman is very good in the middle there for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but I don't think he is anywhere near as fast. They're not going to be able to contain Crum as well as the Stamps did on the ground. And I don't trust their quarterback situation at all. So I'm taking Ottawa all the way here. The smart play here is the Red Blacks. And you maybe even buy a half point just to get it to three. But the value here is with the Red Blacks. All the momentum is there. I think they're better overall on defense as well. They've been very opportunistic, or should I say Brandon Dandridge has been very opportunistic of late with his pick sixes, igniting some energy for this team. And I think Dustin Crum is in a great rhythm here. And the Ticats don't even know who they're going to start a quarterback. And I agree with you, JC. They should probably roll with Taylor Powell for at least another week and let Bolivai Mitchell get fully healthy. So I don't really care who starts a quarterback. Ottawa's got a wave of momentum here. They're riding it. Remember, the last time they played at home, they upset the Blue Bombers, and the Tiger Cats are nowhere near that class of team. So take the Red Blacks and take those winnings. The 
Rough Riders and Argonauts meet on the East Coast for the second straight year in Touchdown Atlantic on Saturday afternoon in Halifax. Toronto has been installed as 10.5-point favorites against Saskatchewan. Do the Riders have a chance to cover and win? I believe the green and white have a chance to cover the spread. Winning is a stretch and probably a long shot at this point. The Argonauts were heavy favorites a week ago going into Hamilton. Yes, they covered the spread. Yes, Chad Kelly is a favorite right now for most outstanding player at most sports books. And I think in the eyes of many analysts, including the one that's talking to you right now and probably John Hodge and JC Abbott as well. But this is a big ask, I think, to go to double digits against a Rough Riders team that knows it needs to play better and is getting some reinforcements back soon in the receiving core. Jake Weineke was practicing, as was Braden Lenius and Kean Schaefer-Baker, who for my money is the best receiver on that roster still. So even if they only get one or two of those guys and perhaps there's a potential to get all three back in the lineup in Halifax, then I think the Riders can compete here. It's just a big spread. I think the Argos win the game because Chad Kelly is playing so well. And I really like what the Argonauts are doing on defense with Flo or Malade and then being opportunistic as well. Royce Mechie has been balling out in the secondary for Toronto, but it's a big spread. So the Argos win, but Sask covers. I will not be out in Halifax this year like I was last year. You and John Hodge will be out there on the East Coast. And because of that reason, having experienced that travel, I'm taking the Argos and I'm taking all the points, right? Saskatchewan played out here in Vancouver on Saturday. They went back to Regina. Now they're going to make that hike all the way out to Halifax. Toronto just had to take a one-hour time limit difference and hop out there in Nova Scotia. So I think they'll be better rested. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to be tired. They are beat up right now with a backup quarterback at the helm. And I think when all is said and done, they, uh, Craig Dickinson is going to be a broken man on a Halifax pier because the Argos <laughs> are going to win this handedly. Wow. The Lions visit Commonwealth Stadium trying to push the Elks into infamy. If Edmonton loses, the Green and Gold will own the longest home losing streak in pro sports history all by themselves. Can the Elks avoid another home loss or even cover as plus eight and a half point home underdogs? Look, I am never going to bet on the Edmonton Elks to win, probably at all this season and certainly not this week against a juggernaut BC Lions team. I think they set a new North American pro sports record for the longest consecutive home losing streak. And it will be an embarrassment for one of the most storied franchises in all of Canadian pro sports. But the BC Lions are going to have Dane Evans, their backup in at quarterback. He is less mobile than Vernon Adams Jr., and they have struggled to protect their quarterback recently. The interior of that offensive line got embarrassed badly by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who were last in the league in sacks going into that game. Edmonton's not a stud unit on defense, but Jake Ceresna is going to get some serious pressure on Dane Evans and give him some hits. I think that's just enough for the Elks to cover. I think the Lions win by a touchdown, but not more. 
I can't do it and I won't do it. I will not put my hard-earned money down on the Edmonton Elks to cover a spread until they show that it's possible. Last week, the Lions were big home favorites and they just barely got the job done. And a big reason why is this defense. I can't see Taylor Cornelius having much, if any, success against Matthew Betts breathing down his neck, who has 10 sacks already. He's on pace for 30 sacks. That would set the CFL record by four and a half if he keeps this pace up, and I think he can continue it. He's had multi-sack games already this season, and I could see another one coming here against Cornelius. The only way Edmonton has a chance to cover is if Trey Ford plays more snaps than Cornelius. So I don't think that's going to happen. I am wishing it does for the betterment of the Elks and the league overall, but for that reason... The Lions defense, that is, I will take BC to cover the eight and a half point spread and obviously win the game. Calgary takes on the Alouettes in Montreal on Sunday night. The Owls are short home favorites coming off a bye week. Who do you like in La Belle Province? You know, this game I was going back and forth on a little bit because the Alouettes are rested and they've brought in Sean Lemming, Sean Lemon, excuse me, to infuse some pass rush energy on that defense. But the Alouettes were actually tied with the Rough Riders entering the last week for the league low in sacks. Both had seven. Now, of course, the Rough Riders played and got a few, so the Alouettes sit last in pressure. And I think Jake Mayer is on the upswing here. I think he's really feeling it after a 400-plus yard game with four touchdown passes. And I think the Stampeders know how critical this win is going to be for them with their upcoming stretch of games being very difficult. So I'm going to take the Stampeders to respond to the challenge of Dave Dickens. And even though this trip to Montreal has been very tricky for the Stampeders in the past. I'm rolling with the Stamps as well. And for me, it comes down to that offense. Jake Mayer, the last two weeks, has been on point. Dave Dickinson is letting him stretch the field. And they've got better weapons right now since they brought back Mark and Michelle. And now with the emergence of a young Clark Barnes in that receiving core, I think they are deeper on offense than the Alouettes are, even though Austin Mack has played very well for them as a rookie. I think the Stampeders are able to cover this short spread and win this game. Moving on now to Hodge's heritage moment, lovingly done in his absence as he travels to Halifax while we record this. On this day in 2014, the Lions retired G. Roy Simons, number 81, during halftime of a game against the visiting Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The first ballot Canadian Football Hall of Fame inductee spent 12 seasons with BC, winning two Grey Cups and being named the league's most outstanding player in 2006. The six-time CFL All-Star retired with 16,352 career receiving yards, a record that still stands today and 103 touchdowns on 1,029 receptions. What are your recollections of G. Roy Simon as a player with the Lions? Just being so smooth as a route runner, man. He really utilized the waggle and the way that he just seemed to have silky 
hands to bring in the football from a variety of different angles. He was so fun to watch and produced eye-popping statistics. And that career-receiving yardage mark, it'll take a long time, if ever, for anyone to even get close to threatening to break it. At me, what's special about G. Roy Simon is he is the rare CFL superstar that actually captivated young people in the city that he he played in. And certainly the last one that the BC Lions have seen, only because Nathan Rourke had to depart after one year as the starter, of course. But Superman was a legit guy out here in Vancouver. I can remember growing up, people would flock to him like they would any NFL star receiver. I don't think there's enough of that in the CFL. G. Roy Simon, certainly the last one out here on the West Coast, and he'll always have a special place in my heart for that reason. Let's go to the three-minute drill. Former CFL quarterback Henry Burris will be in training camp with the Los Angeles Rams as part of the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship. Is that well-deserved? Yes, it is. Burris has already had stints with the Chicago Bears and Jacksonville Jaguars. He's looking to stick around longer in the NFL. Hopefully, he can catch on with the Rams and be there for the full season, not just training camp. Montreal made a splash during the Alouettes bye week, releasing defensive end Nick Usher and signing veteran sack artist Sean Lemon. Is that a significant upgrade? I believe it is because Lemon has proven he has 92 career sacks, eight away from 100. And if he gets there, which I think is highly possible this season, he would become just the 13th player in CFL history to hit the century mark Excuse me for quarterback takedowns. The Elks have announced that Saturday's matchup with the BC Lions will be the first professional football game broadcast on the radio in Punjabi. Is that a prudent move? I think it's a fantastic decision by the Elks. We've all seen the success that broadcasting Hockey Night in Canada in Punjabi has had in this country. I think this is great by the Elks, and I hope that the BC Lions are taking note of this and thinking, huh, can we implement this in some way at home where they have a huge Punjabi population and a big East Indian fan base? It would go over very well here in Vancouver and in Surrey, where the Lions have their practice facility. Tiger Cats head coach Orlando Steinauer spoke about his team's repeated pattern of penalties following Hamilton's loss to the Toronto Argonauts in Week 7. Do you think the league's most penalized team will change its ways? I don't think so, man. As long as you've got Duke Williams and Chris Edwards and some of these other guys taking silly penalties on the roster, then... I don't think this team is going to change its ways unless there are team-issued fines or players get released for taking penalties that cost their team wins. Canadian historian Craig Baird got AI software to generate images of the average fan for all nine CFL franchises. Was that a cool project? It was. It was really cool to look at and widely shared in the fan base. But I will say this. The computer seems to think that there's a lot of 20 to 30-year-old women who are rabid CFL fans in all these cities. If that was the case, my life would be a lot easier, Dunk. The Elks have released promising rookie receiver Maurice French with head coach Chris Jones citing his failings as a run blocker as the reason. Does that make any sense? It makes a little bit of sense, but to me, this just reeks of French falling out of favor with Chris Jones 
and his staff, plain and simple. Jones is not going to come out and say that, but that's usually what happens when Jones releases guys because French appeared to have a lot of upside as a pure receiver. The Rough Riders were more than a little miffed to see a safety taken off the board for roughing the passer in their loss to BC with veteran D-lineman Micah Johnson asking, how else can you tackle a quarterback? Do they have a right to be mad? No, the first point of contact was Demarcus Christmas's arm to Dane Evans's head. If you want to hit a quarterback, bend your knees and hit him in the midsection like everybody else. It was a high hit. It was the right call by the referees and upheld on challenge. This is just sour grapes from the riders. The Riders have added former CFL Interceptions leaguer Trumaine Washington to their roster as first reported by yours truly, Justin Dunk. Does he help their secondary? I think he does. He's a guy that clearly has ball skills, but what worries me about this move is what it's foreshadowing in terms of Roland Milligan and the injury that he's dealing with right now. So hopefully Milligan can get back on the field and they can keep Washington there too because he is a ball hawk. That does it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. Make sure to check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, also YouTube and video form as well. And make sure you go to the threedownnation.com betting page. Go to the tabs there. You can find Grey Cup odds, betting lines for each CFL game, MOP, and the rest. So check us out. Make sure you bet through threedownnation.com. And we'll catch you all next week.